0: It's time for episode 26 of the Clockwise podcast from the editors of Hive, PC World, Mac World, and GreenBot, recorded February 26, 2014. Clockwise, four guests, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome to Clockwise, winner of the gold medal in tech podcasting. I am your co-host, Jason Snell, and
1: across from me, across the country from me, is my co-host, Dan and Hi Dan. I've been carefully maintaining my amateur podcaster status so I can compete in the Olympics of podcasting.
0: That's uh, well done, well done. So we've got a couple of guests that we like to talk to and uh, have. Uh, we talk about four tech topics in less than half an hour. Next to me on this side of the country is PC World and GreenBot
1: Editor-in-Chief John Phillips. Hi John. Hey, hello guys. Good to have you here. Thank you. And on my side of the world, the correct coast we have Tech Hive Associate Editor, Caitlin McGarry. Hi, Caitlin. How are you doing?
2: Hello. I'm doing well. Thank you.
1: So it's a battle of coasts, Jason, West Coast and East Coast.
0: I know. It's, it's uh, what very happen? epic. It is amazing. It's morning, it's morning versus afternoon right now. <laughs> um, since I am the co-host, I will go first with the first of four tech topics that we think is worth discussing. We'll do five minutes on each. Here's my topic. In the news this week, because this is Mobile World Congress week as we record this, lots of announcements coming out, and Nokia showed off some phones. Nokia, which is about to largely be absorbed into Microsoft, uh, showed some phones or a phone that has a a forked version of Android running on it. Interesting, since they're about to become part of Microsoft, and Microsoft's got this whole Windows phone thing, which Nokia also makes lots of Windows phones. And I am fascinated by what Microsoft is going to do next. I keep talking about it, but I wanted to get right to it here which is with all of the struggles Microsoft is having with Windows Phone apps, we had there's another story that, that Blair, our old lab intern, wrote for Geekwire about how um, uh, there's a new Microsoft uh, w- a Windows Phone app that's just uh, a web app wrapped made by Microsoft wrapped inside uh, app code and put on the store. Um, not a good sign. So should Microsoft dump Windows Phone and uh, pick up this, uh, this Nokia? Uh, work on on a fork version of Android. It would get them apps, and they could still build their own services on top of it. I think it's kind of an interesting idea. I'm not sure they will do it, but should they do it? John Phillips, what do you say?
3: Oh man, you know I don't have a lot of long term faith in uh, the Windows Phone platform. I mean, I, I think they could struggle and you know bubble along with with Windows Phone, but against iOS and Android. I mean, you know, they're so far behind the race, not just in apps, but but in user adoption. Uh, I mean, this forked OS is really a uh, you know, it's a way to get um, you know they, they want to. <laughs> well, first of all, this is something that the Nokia was doing before the the Microsoft purchase, so we don't even know if they're going to continue uh, with, with this forked approach once um, Microsoft buys Nokia outright and the deal is done. Uh, but to answer your basic question. I want to evade it. I, 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 the, 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 they, answer the question. I don't. I don't have an answer. But I, 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 I will tell you. I can't tell you what they should do. I will tell you. Microsoft is not going to dump Windows Phone anytime soon. Uh, they, they don't. I, I think they want to get Microsoft services into your phone, and they could do that with Windows Phone. They don't need Android apps to do that. So if that's their goal, they then Windows Phone will will do them right. The question is, is anyone going to buy Windows Phone? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think their their story improves that much if people buy an Android phone that looks like Windows Phone. Um, so I, I have I've evaded your question. Well done. But I but I am saying they will not dump Windows Phone anytime soon.
1: All right, Dan. You know what? It makes me wonder what the end game is here, right? I mean, and same thing John was talking about, like what is their What is their goal? Are they trying to gain market share by moving to Android, you know, or are they trying to make more money? Um, I don't know. It it does seem like Windows Phone has a, you know, tough uphill slog in front of it, and it may be insurmountable. But at the same time, I'd be kind of sad to see it go away, the same way I was sad to see the Palm Pre and WebOS go away, just because it was a viable alternative, even if it wasn't super popular. Um, and it meant more competition in the marketplace. If we're condemned to this sort of, you know, two-party system again with, you know, iOS and Android going head-to-head, uh, you know, I don't want to necessarily see a repeat of the, the, the platform wars that we all experienced in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and I feel like there's more of a tendency for things to stagnate when there's not, you know, third parties shaking things up a bit. So... I I don't know. It seems like a weird decision because Microsoft is a company that historically has made operating systems, and it really seems like they should be able to make an operating system for a phone that people buy. Um, But perhaps that has never quite panned out for them and and may not. I I agree with John. I don't think they're going to dump Windows phone, but it's hard not to imagine it eventually getting marginalized into something that nobody's really interested in buying. And that seems to be happening already.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't think Microsoft is going to dump Windows Phone. I mean, they've put a lot into it. Um, But it would be interesting if they did something with Android the same way that Amazon has put their own stamp on Android with um, the Kindle Fire and, you know, been really creative and I think pretty successful doing that. Um, Microsoft is just really struggling to get developers to build Really great apps for the platform. I mean, it's not even really a priority. I don't think um, after, you know, first you have your iOS app, then you build your Android app soon after or release them at the same time, and then Windows Phone maybe a few years later, like Instagram. Um, I think Facebook hasn't even put out their Windows Phone app yet. Um, and that's just really problematic. Um, my sister has had a Windows phone for a really long time. She's not into social networking, and she doesn't use a lot of apps, but she's finally like done with it, because there's absolutely nothing that she wants to use. She sees people with um, iPhones and Android phones, and there's all these apps that she just can't access, so she's finally going to ditch it, which um, I think it's unfortunate, because Windows phone is a pretty beautiful platform. I like the way it looks, but yeah, there's just nothing to do when you're on it. So, but I don't think they're going to move to Android.
0: We'll see. I don't think they're going to do it, though. Anyway, we should move on to the next topic. John, what do you have for us?
3: So uh, Reuters yesterday reported that Google is uh, doing a full-court press. Well, maybe that's exaggerating. They, they are sending uh, Washington lobbyists, or maybe not Washington lobbyists, lobbyists to a number of states to convince uh, legislators to back off on bills that would um, – Make it more difficult or prohibit using devices like Google Glass while driving. Um, and so I've been I've been thinking about this overnight and and asking myself, you know, how do I feel about about the bills and and Google's effort to to try to block this kind of legislation? There, there's two different sides of the coins to look at. Uh, but I am interested to hear what the panel thinks about this. Should should Google try to make it perfectly okay and acceptable for us to use? glass while we're driving down the road.
1: You know, uh, I heard a story on the radio this past week where they were interviewing people, I think in Colorado, about whether it should be illegal to uh, drive after having smoked marijuana. And almost all the people they interviewed at this like, you know, who are admitted to being marijuana smokers were like, yeah, it's totally fine. I'm more focused when after I've had, you know, a smoke and I'm sitting there going, this sounds insane to me. So not to, you know, necessarily draw a line directly from marijuana used to Google Glass, but I think (laughs) anything that distracts you while you're in the car is a bad idea. Um, And it seems, you know, to me, pretty self-serving of Google to want you push back on that legislation. Now, you know, should we legislate everything that you can't do while driving? Probably not. Um, But, you know, there are a lot of states that have anti-cell phone laws while driving. Uh, My state doesn't, and I honestly kind of wish they would just because there are so many idiots who use their phones while driving. Um, there are devices like more and more cars are getting something built in that is kind of like what Google Glass does with heads up displays on the windshield, like on the, the higher end luxury cars. And I think that kind of thing will filter down eventually. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that it should necessarily be. You know, specifically legal, but I do think that there should be, you know, it shouldn't be federally mandated one way or the other necessarily. Uh, but it seems dangerous. I, I don't know that I'd want to get on the road with people who are potentially staring at their email or messages or whatever, whether it be on a phone or on a glasses display. So that's what I'll say. Caitlin, what about you?
2: Um, I think you really did just compare Google Glass to Weed, Dan. <laughs> I, I think that just happened. Is it inaccurate? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I think, I don't know if they'll be successful in preventing any laws from passing, but all it takes is just one accident where someone is wearing Google Glass and is distracted and someone is injured or even killed, and I think that will just, that'll do it. Um, it's, you know, it's it's not exactly the same as, as texting or staring at a phone when you should be staring at the road because you probably can do both, but it is a distraction, and... Um, <sighs> Yeah, I'm not really sure how distracting it is while driving because I don't wear glass and I no longer drive. So I I can't really um, say for certain, but it seems like enough of a risk that I don't think lawmakers are going to want to tackle that just yet. Um, But we'll see. Like I said, I think it'll just take one accident to push it over the edge.
0: I feel like this is... um I mean, distracted driving is a problem, but it's a broad problem, and it's not – technology is easy to point out. But, you know, of course, there's that – my father-in-law was shaved on his way to work. He had, like, a <laughs> oh, an razor, and he would shave on his way to work. And I've seen people – I've seen women putting on makeup while yeah, they're I've driving. And, uh, you know, and I think there are studies that say that having the car radio on, having a conversation with somebody else in the car, these all decrease your ability to drive. There are lots of um, – devices now like apple's doing ios in the car where it's like a touch screen interface i mean you have to look there it's not even a knob you can control by feel you have to look at the uh at the screen in order to touch so i you know where do we draw the line and i think the easy way to do it is to just say look no glass in cars or 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 no no uh holding a cell phone and looking at it i think in the end, what we probably should do is have some standards for what the interaction is in a car. Um, Andy and Ico made this point in an article that I'll put in the show notes on um, on our new Android site, Greenbot, about um, heads up displays. And you might actually end up with um, some heads up display technology where things are getting pro- pro- projected onto your windshield that aren't as much distracting as actually making you less distracted by not putting that information down on. Un- low down on the dashboard which is totally legal and built into cars right and yet to look at those numbers um you have to look away from the road and that's bad too so there're ways that maybe technology can can help here but there need to be standards and i think glass is an example where there are probably aspects of glass that would be fine when you're driving but there're also lots of them like checking your email that are totally not fine when you're driving so uh, you know i I hate to say ban a particular product. I think more like we need to ban certain kinds of information being shown when a car is in motion and you're in the driver's seat, like things that you can you know, read like an email or a text message or something and have that all go to voice. So it's early days, and, and I agree with Caitlin. There's going to be some um, horrible thing that happens that's going to come up, and that's going to coalesce, and then they're going to make things illegal. But I think it's a bigger problem. And uh, tech in cars in general is a distraction. So it, you know this is going to solve one little part of it, but not the not the big thing. Well, John, did we satisfy you?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm of two minds of it. Uh, lot, I've I've driven while using glass, and it is distracting, especially when you first get the device. You're trying to learn the interface, and you know if it, if if you could do everything with pure uh, voice recognition triggers, yeah. The thing that um, gives me pause about. All, this, all the talk of legislation and the legislative efforts is that they don't necessarily anticipate where the technology could be going. So if a bunch of states pass laws right now that say uh, smart glasses are banned in the car, they may not, um, they may not be written in a way that, that looks ahead three years from now where, when voice recognition really has improved to the point where we could do everything just with uh, you know, voice calls. Or voice triggers. And it also doesn't anticipate what the, the new UIs we're going to find in cars themselves. So, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big um, believer in, in uh, both mores and laws that, that prevent distracted driving. But I, I just hate to see this go on the books and then three years from now come, see the technology industry come up with some real uh, responses that, that indeed work and, right. and have those be illegal.
1: Dan, you're up. Ah, my turn. Yes. Well, uh, there earlier this week, there was a bug in uh, Apple's uh, secure sockets layer um, system for I both guess. iOS and OS
0: X. I like my sockets to be as secure as possible. Yes, yeah,
1: secure. You want to secure those sockets. You want to baby-proof those sockets. Yeah. With a layer. Um, Right. With a layer, preferably. Nice, soft layer. So this is the system, the basically the encryption system that almost every, as it turns out, almost every sort of communications that is secure relies upon this system. And a very, very simple bug, literally a duplicated line, meant that a third party could pretend to be a secure server and intercept all your traffic. And... There was a lot of talk about what this the implications of this were, and it was kind of frightening for me at one point to realize I was sitting out at a at a internet cafe working and realizing, I'm not sure if any, like, I could honestly have all of my traffic intercepted right now. <laughs> and I, I, I usually don't worry too much about these things, but realizing that so many systems depend on this one piece of software, and software, as we know, is buggy, um, so things like this can happen. I'm curious if there, you know, not to put too much of a tinfoil hat on the situation, but uh, I'm curious to know if there are certain places where you guys draw lines for things that you will or won't do, like security-wise online, or whether anything like this has given you pause about doing certain things online in the future. Caitlin, what about you?
2: Um, Yeah, when I heard about the the bug, um, I was really concerned because all of a sudden, I, you know, you're. Your internet activity starts flashing before your eyes, and you're thinking, "Oh my God, was I checking my bank account while I was using public Wi-Fi somewhere, and I wasn't on a VPN on accident?" I don't, I don't remember. Um, and so, you get really concerned. But I don't know. At this point, with I don't know, you just have to be as safe as you can. But I try not to think about it that much. It's like shopping at a store with my debit card, you know, like i'm sure my identity could be stolen and you know i shopped at target during the the when the data breach period happened Mm -hmm. and i was like oh great well oh well what are you gonna do (laughs) you know you be you be as safe as possible and you you know do what you can but these things are always gonna happen so i i take precaution you know i try not to um i try not to do anything that could be compromised when I'm using public Wi-Fi or I don't know, you do what you can, I guess.
0: (laughs) I don't worry about this so much only because I figure that, um, you know, yeah, bugs happen, security breaches happen. I think my personal information is way more at risk on the other end of the line and the servers and things. So I try to do things like not store my credit card number on on most uh, e-commerce sites, they're like, we, we can save your credit card. No, no, I don't want you to save my credit card. And even then, they've got my credit card somewhere in their system. Um, I, I feel like that's where the security breaches are going to come from. So yeah, when I'm on public Wi-Fi or something like that, I will often turn on our VPN that we have for our, our own uh, office, and that tunnels a lot of the, our traffic through um, you know, through an encrypted connection. I try to do some of that stuff when I'm out and about. But I also am aware that uh, there's lots of insecurity on the internet, and maybe that's a fatalistic approach. But I kind of feel like uh, given, like, the target breach and things like that, my data elsewhere is probably more likely to be attacked than some dude sitting at a cafe I happen to be at.
3: Yeah, I, I, that's a good point. I, I, I would agree with that, that we're we're more exposed on on the server side. Uh, I'm not sure if this this is really a um, if the problem that Apple's problem right now the one that's hitting the news is really uh, tied directly into exposure on on public Wi-Fi systems. I mean, it, isn't this about a, the direct? Um, it's about SSL, which yeah. I- means that it's insecure when you're using the app. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this is really protection, but I wouldn't you. I wouldn't. Uh, enter my my bank account um, on public Wi-Fi. So yeah, I do take those precautions. But I, I just sort of have a, a cynical view of all of this. I, I figure at some point, my data is not secure. And I've I, I live my life, you know, with that notion in my head, and I just plod forward and, and, and hope that um, I don't you know, suffer anything cataclysmic?
1: Well, I think the, the balance is always between one of security and one of convenience, right? The more and more secure we make things, the less convenient they are to use. I use, you know, uh, two-factor authentication for my bank account, but it's a pain in, in the butt because it means that there's lots of se- third-party services I can't use. Um, so, you know, there is an, there is a a give and take for that. Um, I admit that I thought about it for a minute about being concerned. It was like, nah, you know, kind of like the rest <laughs> of you. Yeah, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, Right. Um, but I did have brief moments flashing before my eyes of if you've ever seen the movie Sneakers where they figure out how to like we here's how to decrypt everything basically. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is this is pretty tenuous. One little line could like decrypt pretty much everything we do in a day. Huh. Well, I will think about that at some point, but maybe it's a better topic for a novel than for a technology <laughs> worry. Uh Caitlin, you're
3: up.
2: Yeah, um, okay, so as everyone knows, I mean it was inescapable news. Um, Facebook bought WhatsApp for Too much money, way too much money. Um, And it looks like uh, part of the reason behind that purchase um, is because WhatsApp is really popular overseas. Um, And so going back to Mobile World Congress happening this week, um, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, um, he shows up in Barcelona to talk about um, a little bit about WhatsApp, but also about uh, this internet org, um, internet.org coalition that uh, Facebook and some other companies like Ericsson, Um, are involved in. And basically, they're working with uh, carriers um, in developing countries to make the internet more accessible to people. So the way he described it was, um, you know, people have uh, feature phones, and they can use uh, basic services, um, some parts of Facebook, uh, which gets them, you know, sort of hooked on the internet. And then once they want to do something that requires data. They, you know, have to go and, and pay for a data plan. Um, so, you know, Facebook gets more users, carriers get more subscribers, and people get access to the internet and the rest of the world. Um, and so, WhatsApp could. Theoretically, fit into that because it's really popular overseas, and um, you know it's a lot cheaper to use than uh, text messages, which in some parts of the world are really expensive, and WhatsApp is free. Um, so I was wondering what people think of that. If, if WhatsApp could be sort of uh, what Zuckerberg called the on-ramp to the internet, if it could get people hooked t- onto the internet um, and make them want to pay for plans, make them want to buy data, and and use the internet the way um, the way the US uses the internet. So I was curious what you guys think of the WhatsApp purchase.
0: Yeah, I think it's a. Uh, I think it's smart. Actually, I think this is one of those cases where uh, those of us in the U.S. maybe don't pay attention to this as much as as uh, people in other countries. But when you look at the success of WhatsApp and when you look at the success of something like Line in Asia, um, really interesting alternatives to text messaging. As a, an Apple user primarily, I, I spend a lot of time with iMessage, which does the same thing, but you've got to be in the Apple ecosystem. Uh, a lot of this stuff is really smart. I, I, I was thinking that um, – I've been saying for a while now that the, like, nuclear bomb of the internet is uh, people's photos that, like, if you can control how people share their photos with everybody, you win, which is, I think, why why they bought Instagram. <laughs> and uh, I guess there is another uh, huge power center on uh, the future of the internet and its messaging, its personal messaging. And Facebook wasn't getting these people – and um, so yeah, I'm. I'm I, I think this is. These are reasons people want to use the internet. They want to use it to connect to other people in easy ways, and by bypassing SMS, and not just bypassing it, but being able to do group messaging and send pictures and things like that. Um, you know that that that's why people are using this stuff. And Facebook is smart. Facebook wants to be the next Facebook, and give them full credit for that. So um, between photos and messaging, I think those are two. Big directions for not just the next generation of phone users, but for everybody. So I think it's I think it's smart. I think the money is staggering, but above a certain point, I'm not sure whether the money makes any sense. And if I, I, on one level, I think if you think it's strategic and you've got the money, maybe you should spend it. The, the uh, WhatsApp is such a small company that um, it's kind of mind boggling that it's worth whatever eighteen billion dollars. But um, maybe maybe I think it's worth. I think it's worth a lot. I don't know if it's worth that. I don't think I my wallet is large enough to judge that. But I think it's I think it's smart.
3: Yeah, it's 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 very smart. It, it took me a a day to process what the news was because, like a lot of Americans, uh, even you know we tech journalists we weren't very familiar with WhatsApp. I, I've, I heard the name. I knew uh, before the news that it was a messaging app. I didn't understand its global reach, but when you really look at the numbers and how many people use it in different parts of the world, uh, you know, it begins to tell you that this was a, a smart purchase. Um, a lot of people don't want the, the heavy baggage of, of a full-on Facebook. Like you said, they, wanna, they want simple uh, peer-to-peer or peer-to-group messaging. Um, and that's how a lot of the world communicates. A lot of the world who doesn't use Facebook communicates this way. So um, yeah, very strategic pur- purchase. It, it gives them uh, even a uh, wider on-ramp to to these other countries. So yeah, it makes perfect sense. And um, it's it, in some ways it sort of uh, says, "Hey, we couldn't get Snapchat. We'll, we'll we'll go this route too." There's even more people. We're going to pay more for it, but but our user base will be that much larger. And just a, a word about Internet.org. It is it is sort of um, being uh, portrayed as a sort of a way to hook people uh, to get on the internet, so uh, it, it allows people in developing countries—if I have this right—to get simple, you know, text pages, but not images or video. And if they want that, they have to pay for data plans. Um, but if you don't have any way to get any way to get on the internet at all, um, and you don't have any money either, simply getting the those text pages could could make a world of difference for. For people who don't have that kind of access. So while I think everything that Facebook and Zuckerberg does at some point has sort of craven, um, you know, capitalistic motivations <laughs> behind it, I think it's pretty cool that, that you know, someone in a village in, in Africa or Asia might have a way to get online and get web pages they couldn't get before.
1: Well, speaking of craven and capitalistic. Uh, uh, I was thinking more in terms of the value of it. And, you know, you were Jason, you were saying you're not sure if it's worth that much. I mean, there's an argument that it's worth exactly what they were going to pay for it, right? I mean, if they're willing to put that much money down for it, that's what it's worth. In um, so far as, you know, whether it's a smart acquisition, absolutely. It's a lot harder to build out a service and then attract users and convince them to use it than it is to buy an existing service that has already caught on. Um, and I think that's the fundamental problem Facebook was running into. They were like, hey, let's do this Facebook messaging thing. And it's like everyone's kind of like, eh, no, we're over here using this other thing. You're like, oh, you're using that other thing? Well, we'll buy that thing. Now that's our thing. Um, so I think, you know, that's that's they've shown that is the way that they do business between WhatsApp and Instagram. They're going to try and maintain a user base so that, as Jason was saying, when Facebook becomes sort of passe, they've already got their foot into the next generation um, I honestly have never used WhatsApp, knew the name, but was not really that familiar with it. There are dozens of these little clone things and it's, you know, little messaging apps. And it's, you know, what differentiates them? Primarily user bases and where are the people that you're talking to, right? And again, that's that's the kind of thing that's hard to to build organically. It, it has a way of just happening based on, you know, I'm sure there's really interesting academic papers to be written about why these communities and networks develop the way they do. Um, and as for the developing nation stuff, I, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, again, at the end of the day, there's probably some, some motives that are not purely altruistic to it, but if something good comes out of it, then I think you can excuse a lot.
2: I'm just curious if, um, if Instagram is a little pissed that they, they sold for 1 billion instead of 19 (laughs) billion. (laughs) It's
1: 19 Instagrams. That's what it's worth. Ouch.
2: Insane.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was a good good deal. Goodbye. <laughs> All right. We're we it's time for we're almost out of time. It's time for our bonus topic. Um earlier today Caitlin passed on a link to us in there in our uh, our chat room for a story on uh on vice about a guy named Dan who has survived Dan, it could be you, but it's not it's not me. Um who has served who eats only pizza. And it's the the headline is This Man Has Survived on Pizza Alone for 25 years. Um It is a hilarious story, or as Caitlin said earlier, if by hilarious you mean, what, horrifying, disgusting, (laughs) tragic. (laughs) (laughs) He eats only pizza. That's all he ever eats, breakfast, lunch, dinner, only pizza. With nothing on it, apparently. Cheese, pizza. Um, But – he, you know he he's eaten so much cheese pizza that it's like he can see the 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 atoms. He can like taste every. If he like, is what he eats. He is a cheese he pizza. Has, <laughs> he has become pizza destroyer of diets. Uh, <laughs> so I ask all of you just very quickly before we go, what's your, what what kind of pizza do you like? What's your favorite pizza to order?
3: Oh man, this is I love pizza. Uh, there's a there's a place near my house called Giolina. They have a pizza with pancetta and wild nettles. I also like Amici's, which does pancetta with lemon zest. So this is not your average pizza, but it's what I like.
1: Uh, I also like pizza. There's a great place in uh, Cambridge and Brookline or around my, my neck of the woods called Otto's, which is very good. I think it started in Portland. I will note that in that article, that guy references his favorite pizza ever is from a place called Pontillo's, which is in Rochester, New York, which is where my mother's family is all from. And I've eaten Pontillo's pizza. I don't think I would call it the best pizza ever. <laughs> It's good. It's good. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the best pizza in the world.
2: I think the classic New York cheese slice is is really solid. Um, when I'm in California, I like to order um, what John was talking about, like the really original, unique, only in only in San Francisco kinds of pizza with random bits of produce and whatever they throw on it. Um,
1: (laughs) Kale pizza all the time. Kale, yeah,
2: Brussels sprouts and Mm, and all these, Uh. yeah. Um, But in New York, you you gotta stick with the solid, like a Sicilian slice or just pepperoni, you know, just back to basics.
0: And now proving that I am history's worst monster, my favorite pizza is pepperoni
1: with pineapple. Yes. Oh, wow. that,
0: that's can, not bad. You can kill me now. I'd p- rather have that than, than the ham and
1: pineapple. am not a big fan of pineapple on pizza. I like pineapple I like pizza. I don't see a need to combine these things. Uh,
0: yeah, but you know, it is surprisingly good. Anyway, we've been carefully watching the clock. That's
1: literally all the time
0: we have. John Phillips, thank you for being on the West Coast with me. Thank you.
1: Thank you. And Caitlin McGarry, thank you for being on the East Coast and representing it in pizza and in other forms. Of course. So until next time from all of us here at Clockwise, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock.
0: Bye, everybody. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.